0: Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, the Ontario Liberals have decided to not change how they choose their leader with a delegated convention again. Will this help or hurt them? Last night's Raptors broadcast was full of political ads. Who's behind those? And actor Kiefer Sutherland has words for the Ontario Premier, stop talking about my grandfather. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML. The Liberals announced earlier this week, at uh, the Ontario Liberals that is, uh, that they will be selecting a new leader in the springtime, but uh, unlike what most other political parties have been doing, uh, they're going to do this the old-fashioned way. This is not going to be uh, the way that the Conservatives have elected their leaders, or even the PCs have elected theirs. Uh, this, this is the old convention thing, where delegates are going to be selected, and uh, well, it's really something that has not been done effectively for quite some time, but they're hanging on to it. Uh, Richard Brennan, see them all. Uh, he's a retired journalist, of course, of the Toronto Star. Has covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill and has been uh, involved in the back rooms, the smoke-filled back rooms, and more than a few of these things over the years. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Hey, Badger, how are you doing today? Hey Bill, how are you? Excellent, excellent. Uh, are you surprised by the the Liberals' uh, decision here to stick with the old-fashioned style?
1: Well, I tell you, as a reporter, I applauded. I know that uh, my former colleague, Martin Kahn, is uh, disparaging it, the idea that they're going ahead with a delegated convention. But I'll tell you, a one-member, one-vote convention is about as dull as dishwater. Uh, so, you know what? I don't blame them. If they w- it generates, I know it's old-fashioned, and it may be not be you know, the most democratic thing in the world, but it generates enthusiasm. Among just not you know the party and among the public, because they actually see you know the to and fro and the and you know the trading and the you know the horse trading and all that stuff. you see it right there. it It is by far a more interesting race. Again, it might be not you know in terms of a, a democratic process, you know allowing members the one member one vote. but I, I would take this over that that any day of the week.
0: It's the sense of drama, and we'll talk about that because we've seen some of that in, in evidence, of course, over the last little while. The last couple of uh, times we've seen this thing in place, whether it's a leadership convention or a, an election such as this. Uh, and and it can be that way. But why, then, is everyone gravitating to this other, this the, the electronic way of doing things, where, for all intents and purposes, you already know who the leader's going to be before they even have the convention?
1: I, I, well, it is, it is a more democratic process, right off the bat. I mean, people are directly have their say. Uh, you know and and it it's worked in some cases, and as uh, I think my colleague Martin Kahn points out, you know, it didn't work out so well to Doug Ford because he came from out of nowhere uh, to with with support from people that you know some would question whether they had had the right to vote or not. But you know, the point is he came from out of nowhere and uh, and beat Christine Elliott who was who got the most votes but based on their process he still won so it it, that that is that too is an odd process i don't know if there is a perfect one to tell you the truth but it a lot of parties do that now they they go for the one member or a version of that one vote and uh and it works but boy is it dull
0: I play would have could have should have if the if the PCs had used this format, uh, the convention delegates et cetera et cetera et cetera that we're so used to watching, would Christine Elliott have won that? Oh, absolutely. Because, as you say, I mean, <laughs> as I was as well, I was watching the coverage that that Saturday afternoon um it, the, the hardest thing, I thought, for the reporters that were on-site there was trying to explain exactly what the voting process was, because it wasn't just, okay, one vote, one person. No, it was that you had to get a percentage of this, and ba-ding, ba-ding, and you had to wear brown socks. I don't know. There were all sorts of qualifiers on that thing. It was really bizarre.
1: It really took on that flavor, the uh, the, the U.S. Uh, model, and um, where you could you can win, but you can still lose, which I just... Kind of so weird to me, but anyways, that's what it is.
0: Yeah, I I mean, you know, that's again the popular vote in the electoral college down in the states. Yeah. And we kind of look down our noses and say, boy, that's kind of a silly system, but we're kind of adopting the same sort of thing here, aren't we? Well,
1: and certainly with the Ford, uh, with the uh, uh, Ontario PCs, they certainly adopted a version thereof because she got more votes than Doug Ford did, but Doug Ford won.
0: And we saw this with the, uh, the federal conservative uh, party leadership, too, because they went through this new style. Uh, and I know that, th- I think the WET has 17 ballots, but I mean, you know, that's, that's a bit of a misnomer because the ballots have already been cast. They just really have to go ba ding Bidding. It's a computer exercise more than anything else.
1: So, Bill, let me ask you this what do you think of the race so far? You know, we're still early days. In March uh, 2020, they're going to have the, the leadership uh, convention. But boy, it, to me, it doesn't. It's pretty slim picking so far.
0: Well, here's here's how difficult things are for the Ontario Liberals right now. They did some internal polling, as you know, uh, last week, and uh, the the number one contender that they thought could lead the party out of there is John Tory. He's not a Liberal, but that, that's who they seem to be leaning towards.
1: Well, and that's just you know, you get to the point of silly season. You know, I, I counted them up. There's eleven people so far that said they don't want it. Yeah, and there's what three that say they do. And then there's all kinds of names that have been cast forward as possible contenders, like uh, Sandra Pupatello. I can tell you right now, I know Sandra. She's not going to do it. Uh, Dwight Duncan, his name is being floaty. He's not going to do it. And uh, and uh, Eric Hoskins, the former health minister, I'm almost convinced he won't run for it. And there's a whole list of people, you know, possible, which are always, it's always fun to, you know, throw out names and see whether they're interested or not. But uh, I'll tell you, I... It's they need they need uh, they need some new blood here, and I don't see anything on that uh, that list of uh, you know folks who've said that they have you know they're, they're going to go for it that uh, generates any excitement in me. I'll tell you
0: what about what we saw happen well, for instance, in Alberta, and we've seen it happen in other provinces too where federal members will step down to the provincial level and say, and take over a leadership now I don't know if that's even going to happen but uh, maybe there's some names that, that are out there that we don't even know about right now because they haven't made that announcement. Uh, you know, they may be sitting MPs, for that matter.
1: Well, I noticed that there's a number of the uh, people who've said that they're not interested that are are Tory, or I should say Liberal MPs on that list, and they've already said no, or they've they've declined already.
0: Let's, let's talk about the drama, and you you touched on that, and we, we don't have to go back too far to do that. I mean, even the uh, the, the, the one in, in, I guess it was 2013, when Kathleen Wynne was elected as leader uh, at the old Maple Leaf Gardens. That's where the convention was. And uh, I don't know that uh, when that started that day, that too many people gave Kathleen Wynne much of a chance of winning that thing. But boy, there was some horse trading that went on that afternoon.
1: Oh, and uh, I don't think uh, I don't think that Sandra Pupatello, and she never told me of this, so I'm just speculating. That will ever forgive uh, Eric Hoskins and others who she well and Charles Sousa and Charles Sousa uh, and uh, she counted on for their support and they uh, they turned tail and went to uh, to Kathleen Wynne. And, I mean, she, I, she was just flabbergasted. There was, There's no question about that.
0: Well, and from what I heard from somebody who was there that day covering the events, it was more than she was counting on it. They apparently, so I was told anyway, had committed to her. Oh, yeah. And, and we see this happen all the time. When Brian Mulroney got the, the conservative leadership way back in the day, uh, and, and you see this kind of horse trading, and then and it's that dramatic moment. And, and maybe we'll see that again with this convention. I don't know if there's going to be that much enthusiasm. When, uh, when somebody who clearly is not going to win crosses over to the floor and goes to shake hands, that's that symbolic, I'm with you now, and I'm going to bring my delegates with me, uh, which can oftentimes put people over the top.
1: Well, and, yeah, it can uh, certainly backfire, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, but that's that's what we were speaking of earlier. Is it? I mean, it, sure. Is it is it uh, anachronism? I guess is maybe the word, one words I'm looking for. But it it actually generates excitement at delegated convention. And if anybody needs to generate excitement right now, it's the liberals.
0: Well, and uh, they've, they've done this in the past. I mean, uh, when Dalton McGinney won the leadership way back when, that one went seven, eight ballots. That was almost into the middle of the night, wasn't
1: it? That what was, what, 95? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, in the middle. I covered it. Oh, middle of the night, I guess it was. It, it went to, oh, geez, I remember the Toronto Star was the only newspaper for its very final edition that got the results. And and so, like everybody, it was so late, nobody was able to tell its readers, except for the star in its final edition, tell the readers who won that uh, that convention.
0: And as you wrote about it, and others that covered that way into the night, uh, the, the question that people were asking sometime in, around midnight was, Dalton who? Uh, because he wasn't even consideration. I know he was a leadership candidate, but he was way down the list. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, that was, he came from, he came from out of nowhere, uh, so to speak, and uh, and won, and it, I mean it. Certainly, set a lot of people back in their heels because they never expected that that he he
0: would. How much manufactured enthusiasm does there have to be here? I, I mean, let's face it. It's going to be March when they pick this leader. The the next election is not going to be for another three years after that. But uh, and and they don't certainly have a presence, much of a presence anyway at Queens Park right now because of the small number they have in caucus. Yeah, and they're losing people. Yeah. So so where do they go from here? I mean, uh, as you mentioned, most of the so-called, you know, name candidates that we've talked about so far have no interest in this right now, probably because they're looking down the road and saying, boy, this is, this is going to be like rolling a boulder up a mountain.
1: Well, and this is what whoever takes on this job is, has to be prepared, and I mean I can't emphasize that enough, to do the heavy lifting. you That person, he or she, will have to be prepared to meet anybody in a phone booth uh, who's interested in the Liberal Party or who's maybe not been interested before, if there's, a, if there's a church basement meeting, you better be there for it. That's the kind of groundwork that will uh, be necessary. You can't just swan in and think that, you know, because of the polls right now that, you know, show Ford down, you can't swan in and think that you, you're going to win the day because you're not Doug Ford. Well, if you, anybody has that attitude, they're done. So this is really going to require a very, a, a ton, I should say, of hard work.
0: But those stories have already started about, the, you know, the demise of political parties. You know, when the Liberals uh, decimated the Conservatives in a federal election, you know, with Kim Campbell's, uh, you know, short time as Prime Minister, uh, they said, they predicted that was the, the end of the Conservative Party. Well, it wasn't. I mean, it, it was fractious, obviously, because out of that we got the Reform Party, the Alliance Party, and everything else, and they finally got back together again. Uh, but there's always time to regroup here. And that Instead of this talk about, well, they're going to have to form a coalition with somebody else and have a, a, a brand new party. Uh, you can do this, it, but it's not easy, is it?
1: Well, ask Mike Harris. He came from third party, yeah, to premier, and it was just that hard, slogging, on the ground work, and that's and that's what it'll take. And that's what the, the person who gets the nod, uh, you know, next March, had better be prepared to do it.
0: Well, the other thing that they need to do, and you and I have talked about this in the past, is you have to define yourself and don't let the opposition define you. And Harris did that, whether you like the Common Sense Revolution or not. And as it turned out, most people didn't. Uh, but initially in '95, it sounded pretty appealing to them. And it, this was a guy with a plan. Yep. And and that, you know, you can just say here's what it is. And I mean, I remember interviewing some of the candidates that were running that election, and and all they did was you know just they just you know, for the, just this page here, that's the policy on this. They were just citing all the sections from the common sense revolution, but that's staying on message, and that's what Harris demanded of them, and it seemed to work for them. Uh, you know, if, if any political party that wants to get elected has got to have a message and then stick to it instead of going all over the place. The Democrats found that out the hard way in the last election. Well,
1: yeah, you don't, you know, don't give me, a, a, you know, a, a, a voluminous uh I guess idea of what you want, or think you might want to do, when somebody else is going to give me, you know, something that I can digest, and in very in point form and say, this is what we're prepared to do, and it, it worked for it worked for Mike Harris, you know, and it didn't work for McLeod at the time, the then Liberal leader. It, it it is, it's much like trying to form. A, a battle and this is the battle is coming and this is how we're going to approach it and there we're going to have people come here and we're going to have people down there and we've got the central leadership and they're telling us what to do it really is much like that and it is it is again the tough work that gets you there and the liberals have to have to understand it I, I they shouldn't have the idea and I really believe that they certainly did that it was a manifest destiny for them to to lead Ontario well, it sure isn't.
0: No, well we'll see what happens in the uh, the months ahead, I guess, because obviously they've got a lot of time, uh, lag time before they actually get this thing going, and then as you mentioned, at least another three years. Uh, before there's going to be another provincial election. As as
1: they better get some more people interested. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see because all of a sudden it seems to be this is the B list now because the A list have all said no, essentially. So it's uh, it's going to be rather interesting to see who takes a run at this. Richard, as always, thanks so much for the time today. Great talking with you. Thanks, Bill. Bye. It's uh, Richard Brennan, of course, retired journalist who covered so many of these conventions, leadership conventions here in Ontario over the years.
2: You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Well, it's a depressing. As our uh, as Raptors' loss was last night uh, was uh, even more frustrating, was watching the telecast, because uh, for those of you that didn't uh, get up every time there's a commercial break to go refill the chip bowl or get a beverage, uh, we were inundated with political ads, which is maybe not totally surprising, because we know that there's going to be a federal election in October. Uh, and you figure, well, why now? Well, there's a couple of reasons for why they're doing it. First of all, they know there's going to be a huge TV audience for a playoff basketball game like this. But it was the tone and character of the ads, I think, that, that has bothered an awful lot of people. Uh, these are what they call third-party ads, and uh, it's, uh, well, rather frustrating and, and a little troubling to see the kind of tone that's actually being done uh, by both sides in situations like this. So let's, uh, let's peel back a few layers here and find out what's going on and who's responsible for this. Duff Coniger is with us. He is the co-founder of Democracy Watch, an adjunct professor also at uh, the University of Ottawa. Duff, thank you for the time. Good to have you with us today. My pleasure, Bill. Have you seen these ads? Yes. What's your, what do, what do you, how do you read into this? What do you see there?
3: Uh, Well, everyone's always guessing why voters vote the way they vote, but one of the theories is it's based on the leader of a party and uh, people's impression of the leader. And that one of the things to do um, is if you uh, are promoting a leader or opposing a leader, you you focus on their character and try and frame them in a certain way and plant that thought in people's minds so that they always think of the leader that way, and that's what the opposing ads uh, last night were trying to do, and taking advantage of the fact that um, most people watch sports live because they want to be right there in the action and cheering along with everyone else. Lots of other shows are are taped, PVR'd, uh, but lots of people watch sports live, so they don't skip through the ads because mm-hmm. they're watching it live. They haven't taped it before. So... I think that's the reason for where the ads ran, knowing it was a big audience that was watching live and and wouldn't be as I normally do, watch everything taped and skip through the ads. So,
0: you know, so there's, those
3: are the two things going on. I think
0: the, the one thing, the one commercial that jumped out at me, and it was obviously, well, we'll talk about these third-party guys in just a couple of minutes. But it was that, that – I'm sure you've seen it, difference. It's the, the group of people sitting around a conference table, uh, and they're saying, well, it's been four years. Let's uh, evaluate Justin Trudeau. It's it's the exact copy of the commercial they ran four years ago. Uh, and remember that one ended, well, oh. it has nice hair anyway. Yes. I, I figure, is that all you guys can come up with after four years? Because uh, it didn't work last time.
3: No, it didn't work last time, but um, people – uh, may not have seen it last time, may not remember it, or may wanna be, they may want to be deliberately reminding people of what the liberals promised and, did, and didn't deliver. So I think that's uh, also part of it, is to say, yeah, we're, we're still on the same theme because we told you uh, that he wasn't what the liberals were advertising. And uh, it's kind of a weird thing that the conservatives are using, this tagline, not as advertised, in a lot of their ads, um, when it's a fact, an ad that they're doing. So does that mean their ad is not accurate as well? I find that kind of a, a curious tagline that they're using. Um, but, yeah, they're all trying to frame each other, and especially Andrew Scheer, uh, the group supposing the Conservatives are trying to frame him because he isn't well-known uh, to Canadians. And, again, one of the theories is that if you can frame the, the leader in voters' minds, then that leader will have a great difficulty... Uh, removing that first thought that people have when they think of that
0: leader. That's almost an essential part of every campaign now, isn't it? To, to, to try to define the other guy before they get to define themselves.
3: Yes, and it's hard to do with Trudeau because he's had the four years, but with someone uh, newer in the spotlight like Sheer or Jagmeet Singh, then it is uh, more open in that, that voters don't know them as well and may not even know their name. And... Uh, and so you do have that chance of trying to plant a seed in people's minds that, that will be difficult for the uh, leader to dislodge.
0: And uh, I, I want to t- let's talk about the rules, right? uh, because there are rules about campaign uh, advertising, uh, but there's also some deadlines. I mean, the writ has not been dropped yet, so is, is this the Wild West now where anything goes by anybody, or are there yeah. still some restrictions?
3: No, no restrictions now, and the restrictions are going to start on July 1st uh, when Parliament closes. And the reason for that is, in British Columbia, restrictions were put in place for four months before the vote, including a period when Parliament was open. And interest groups challenged those restrictions and said, well, lobbying is our right, and it's an ancient right. It goes back to the right to petition the king for something back in England. And uh, we're just lobbying with these ads, and you can't restrict lobbying. It, we understand that you might want to restrict election advertising but this is not election advertising this is just part of our regular lobbying and so the federal government when when drafting this new law uh, changing the federal elections law called bill t76 put in place uh, a restriction only starting after parliament closed so no one could argue that it was during a a time of regular lobbying and no one's challenged the law so far the limits are so high in the first two months before the re-election campaign begins from july to august Interest groups can spend a million dollars and and parties a million and a half dollars on advertising. And it's very unlikely that an interest group is going to spend in July and August a million dollars on ads just because lots of people aren't watching uh, anything at that time. They're on vacation and it's not the best time to be spending. They'll save their money uh, and spend it during the actual election campaign in the fall.
0: And by the way, the Conservatives have already started. The, those, those ads of uh, Andrew Shear walking down the street and you know, talking about you know, just uh, a you know, middle-income guy, all that sort of stuff, those are, those are Conservative ads. But l- let's talk about these third-party ads. There are two groups that seem prominent in this stuff, Def. One is called Shaping Canada's Future, and the other is Engage Canada. And uh, we're not sure exactly who these people are or where they're getting their money from.
3: No. When they spend more than $10,000 during July and August, if they do, They will have to issue an interim report in September that will list their donors and give the details. Uh, As well, you'll be able to see what ads they have run, at least if they're doing it on social media, uh, on Facebook, because Facebook has just set up its registry Mm -hmm. of ads. Uh, I don't think the registry is a great idea, actually, because it makes it easy for people to share false ads because you can go to one page and see all the ads, and then click on the ones you want to share very easily. They should be making it harder to share false ads, not easier, but that's what the liberals have done. And uh, the problem with these ads is, even when the regulated period starts, starting July 1st, the uh, Bill C-76 severely weakened the uh, law against making false claims about candidates. And it's a really bad move because they've more than doubled the amount that uh, interest groups can spend on ads, which is also a bad move and was really made for no good reason. Uh, So more money and more false claims, all legal. And that sounds a lot like the 2016 U.S. presidential election. And uh, they made these moves in a bad direction, and we're going to see an election that will be more dishonest and more unfair because you'll have more, more interest groups being able to spend more money on fake ads.
0: Yeah, and, and that's some of a problem. We had that discussion earlier when Facebook announced their policy about uh, political advertising. And I got the sense, uh, just from what I read about this stuff anyway, Duff, that, that as you mentioned, there's going to be a registry, so they, you know they tell us that they're going to be able to identify exactly where the money's coming from. But they, they don't seem to pay much attention at all the content, and, and that's, that's the problem, isn't it?
3: Yes, and they should have been required. Uh, and we've still calling on the liberals to do a bill in these last two weeks it would be a simple one-page bill first of all cut down the amount of money strengthen the false claims rule so that false claims about candidates are prohibited and require the social media companies to report every ad and post that's election related to elections canada and and with elections canada empowered to uh require the deletion of any ad that is clearly false and If if they don't do that in the next couple weeks, and we see an election like the 2016 U.S. presidential election, it's all on the liberals. They're the ones who have let the social media companies off the hook. Uh, They've gone on for months and months saying they expect them to do the right thing instead of passing a law that would require them to do the right thing to stop secret fake online election ads and the liberals have really dropped the ball on this and i predict an election very much like the 2016 us presidential election because the liberals bill weakened the uh rule prohib- prohibiting false claims and doubled the amount more than doubled the amount of money that interest groups can spend on uh their election advertising it was bad moves in both directions
0: and if there was ever a time where there would I think, within the public perception, be a, a thumbs-up to say, okay, we've got to crack down on social media. It would be now, because of what we've seen in the 2016 election and, and the references in the Mueller report about what happened in the United States, obviously. Uh, they, they had a, a, I don't want to say carte blanche, but they certainly had, I think, public support for doing something like this. And, and you're right, I mean, they basically let Facebook off the hook.
3: Yeah, and, and maybe, you know, two years after an election, like we saw in the U.S., uh, Elections Canada might discover some false ad that was run secretly on Facebook. It took took Facebook itself two years to discover the ads and posts that the Russian trolls were running. And two years after an election day is not early enough to stop the bad effects of false claims being made on social media posts. So uh, they should have regulated them. They didn't. And the uh, minister responsible, Karina Gould, recently said, it'll be up to the next government to deal with this. I say, well, okay, thank you for admitting that you absolutely did nothing to really effectively stop secret fake online election ads. So, uh, and more of them, again, because they've, they've let the interest groups now spend more than twice as much money as they were allowed to in the 2015 election on uh, these kind of ads. So it's, uh, I don't know why the liberals, what the liberals were thinking unless they were thinking, hey, it would be a great thing to have an election like the, the, the 2016 U.S. presidential election which was a really bad, unfair, and dishonest ele- election. So why would they think that was a good thing
0: to do? How f- concerned should we be about, and again, to use that 26 election as, uh, 2016 election as an example, uh, how concerned should we be about private money taking over as, as the accusations were flying about the U.S. elections? Uh, and we heard you know, about the Koch brothers and all these other f- places where money was coming from, uh, and it was kind of backdoor stuff. It was not according to Hoyle. Uh, but obviously it obviously was effective. Is, is that happening here, or is the potential for that to happen here in Canada just increased?
3: Yes, because the Liberals more than doubled the amount that they can spend on ads, and uh, they didn't even take into account at all that advertising on social media costs way less than it does to advertise on TV. Uh, so we're not talking about an election 30 years ago. We're talking about an election now, and there was no reason to more than double the amount uh, that you can be spent on advertising, because advertising is cheaper now. So it, it's far less than half as expensive th- to advertise on social media, and that's what you really worry about. Because Elections Canada can see an ad on TV just by watching TV, or in the newspaper just by opening the newspaper, uh, or on radio just by uh, having a media media monitoring company monitor ads, and they can track down someone who might be running an ad who isn't registered and make sure they're not overspending and things like that. But on social media, with highly targeted ads, uh, they can be run secretly. And uh, even with this registry, uh, we're not sure whether Facebook, they're not really effectively required to report every ad uh, to Elections Canada, and the penalties are minuscule. So, you know, even in Facebook, it's all for their incentive to be running ads, especially if someone was spending a lot on them, because they make a lot of money from them, and they wouldn't want them stopped because of the amount of money they would make. And for violating that, they would pay a very small penalty. So the law is not strong enough to stop secret fake online election ads, and they've more than doubled the amount that interest groups can spend on those ads. So we're going to see an election dominated by wealthy interests, more, as much as, it, as back in 1988 before any limits were put in place.
0: And and the the I guess what exacerbates that concern here right now is not only is Facebook uh, waiting with open arms to bring these people in and say, yes, come advertise here. Uh, they've already got a database for, for these advertisers to say, who do you want to reach? Because we can tell you right now where to go.
3: Exactly. And that's the problem. Elections Canada can't see those ads. And so the law should have been changed and still could be if the Liberals actually wanted to stop this stuff. They could draft up a, a simple bill, it would just change, it would, be, it would be like 10 lines long, it would change four key rules in the election law, and would be one or two pages long, and it could be passed by parliament before they break. And the liberals have said, no, it's up to the next government. So they clearly don't want to stop this stuff. I don't know why. But when, again, if the fall election, as I predict, will be much like the 2016 US presidential election, blame the liberals. They have the majority government and they have not done enough to stop secret, fake online election ads and massive spending by wealthy interest groups dominating the debate. And that's what we're going to see happen this fall.
0: But why the inaction on the government's part, then? When I, don't, I don't know. When I, they've I'll seen it, they, they, just, they just saw Donald Trump got elected because basically they railroaded the election. And every
3: every expert said, you have to do more, you have to do more, and they kept saying, we expect the social media companies to do the right thing. I can only guess one thing. Uh, Kevin Chan, the, the head of... Uh, uh, government relations for Facebook Canada, is a, worked with uh, Ignatiev. Uh, there are people at Twitter Canada who worked with the Liberals. There are people inside the Liberals who worked for cabinet ministers who worked with the social media companies. So they're all together, one family and protecting each other instead of protecting the public interest. That's the only thing that makes sense, because every expert told them to do more, told them to do it right away, and they have done nothing in the past year despite experts And we had thousands of people on our letter-writing campaign write the cabinet ministers and say, make these key changes. And the Liberals ignored everybody and have gone ahead and let the social media companies off the hook and made it easier, made it more legal to make false claims about candidates and more than doubled the amount that wealthy interest groups can spend on advertising. And they will spend it. And they'll make false claims about candidates because... They'll they'll be pushing their agenda, and one of the ways to push your agenda is is to uh, taint your opponent, the the party or candidate you don't want to win, uh, with something that is not true, but that goes viral and makes everybody think it is true. So. You gotta ask the Liberals, I, there's no explanation other than that they have friends in the social media companies and also former social media lobbyists are in working for cabinet ministers with the Liberals and they decided to protect everybody, uh, but not protect the public interest.
0: Well, and the public interest is what should be a paramount interest. For them to actually say, well, we'll just wait and, and for the next government to do this, you don't know what the results of the election are going to be. I mean, if it's a broken system, and we're going to say, basically they're saying we're going to leave it broken, and, and maybe we'll fix it later on. It may not be them that's in charge.
3: No, exactly. And, uh, it's. I mean, they just admitted failure when, when Karina Gould said this last week. The Minister for Democratic Institutions said, we're still expecting the social media companies to do the right thing, and it will be left to the next government to uh, put in place laws if they don't. Why would you trust these people? Haven't you read the news over the last two years about Facebook privacy invasions, selling people's personal information to companies without notifying the Facebook users, uh, including to the the company Cambridge Analytica that used that data to push false ads, and and not doing enough, even though they knew they were they were. Uh, Open to uh, trolls placing secret online ads, not doing enough to stop it. I mean, this is Facebook that we're talking about—not a company that should be trusted, based on everything that's come out in the last two years, uh, even from people from within Facebook who formerly worked there. It said it's a dangerous company, and yet the liberals trust ha, are trusting it to do the right thing. Is it because Kevin Chan, a former uh, who worked for a former Liberal Party leader, is the head of lobbying there? Who knows? Uh, he's been investigated based on Democracy Watch's complaint for lobbying in secret and doing favors for for uh, liberal cabinet ministers, like he helped Bill Morneau a few years ago com- communicate the budget, something he does not do for Joe and Jane Average. So he did a special favor for the Minister of Finance. Is that why the Liberals are protecting Facebook instead of protecting the fairness and integrity of our election? I don't know. You have to ask Karina Gould. I hope you'll get her on. Uh, I would love to hear her explanation as to why the Liberals have done nothing effective to stop secret, fake online election ads that are going to undermine the integrity and fairness of the election in the fall.
0: I mean, because it's fairly obvious to anybody who's, who's, who's checked into this. I mean, Facebook was not an innocent victim in in, in this whole thing about the hacking. I mean, they were complicit oh. in that.
3: Yes. Yeah, they, they opened up their, uh, their uh, information and shared it with others uh, in violation of privacy laws. And the Liberals also haven't done anything to protect canadian's privacy effectively the privacy commissioner found facebook guilty of violating the laws can he penalize facebook no there's no penalty so i mean again the liberals had a chance with this bill uh... to uh... protect canadian's privacy protect the integrity and fairness of our election and have done neither and just punted it to the next uh... party that's in power and and we're going to have a very unfair election that will determine who the next party in power is.
0: Duff Conniger from uh, Democracy Watch. Uh, obviously, we're going to follow up on this, and uh, we'll uh, see just exactly how the minister is going to respond to this. Thanks so much for this today, Duff. My pleasure. Take care.
3: You're listening to the
2: Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Well, uh, yesterday uh, it got personal, I guess, between Kiefer Sutherland and Ontario Premier uh, Doug Ford and actually the Deputy Premier Lisa McLeod. Uh, and it all has to do with uh, some ads uh, that uh, the, the PCs have been running. Uh, and uh, references that Lisa McLeod had made, essentially uh, comparing uh, the track record of the Ford government uh, with former NDP leader Tommy Douglas, who, had, that, of course, was at one time, of course, the, uh, the premier of Saskatchewan. Uh, and he, I guess essentially saying that, at you know, we're doing the same thing with the compassion that Tommy Douglas showed, and we're balancing the budget, yada, yada, yada. Well, Kiefer Sutherland is uh, Tommy Douglas's uh, grandson. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's some bloodlines here and obviously some passion here. So yesterday on Twitter, this is what Kiefer Sutherland tweeted to uh, Premier Ford. Mr. Ford, your tweet has recently come to my attention, and I can only tell you that you are correct. My grandfather, Tommy Douglas, was fiscally responsible. In addition to balancing the budget of Saskatchewan, he also provided the province with paved roads, health care, and electricity. He did it all within four years— Contrary to your argument, it was never at the expense of social and human services to those in need. I personally find your comparison of your policies to his offensive. So I can only ask, as the grandson of this man, for you to stop posting his picture and using his name as part of your political agenda. After all, I knew Tommy Douglas, and you, sir, are no Tommy Douglas. P.S. You're lucky my mom is not active on Twitter. Uh, His mom, of course, is Shirley Douglas, also a famous actress. Uh, who was married to Donald Sutherland at one time. Anyway, uh, joining us uh, to talk about this is Christo Avila, social science professor and research council and postdoctoral fellow at University of Toronto. Uh, Christo, great to have you on the program. Thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me. This is a a rather interesting uh, dynamic here uh, with uh, obviously a high-profile personality in Kiefer Sutherland, Uh, and the Ford government, uh, which I guess is uh, taking, shall we say, uh, political license uh, with uh, comparisons uh, between he and and Tommy Douglas. Uh, Were you surprised that that Sutherland would actually fire back like this?
2: I mean, I don't know if I'm I'm surprised. I mean, I think that that story got a lot of attention, I think, when Lisa McLeod wrote that editorial, and of course, Doug Ford shared it on his own personal social media accounts, you know, his uh, so it, it got a lot of attention, and I think a lot of people had issue with it because it, it sort of isolated the fact that, yes, Tommy Douglas ran balanced budgets, but it disconnected that from the public ownership and the creation of you know new social programs and the massive infrastructure investments that, that you know would make governments today blush. And it sort of just tried to take one half and not the other. And, of course, other people had issues with it because they're saying, well, Mr. Ford, at least under your plan as it's unrolling, you're not necessarily fiscally responsive yourself are responsible yourself, you know, deficits are expected to to increase, you know, perhaps you should consider raising taxes like Tommy Douglas did. So I think that it was a matter of time before he was forced to say something if he wanted to, to, to challenge the narrative coming from the government.
0: Well, because, by the way, just in my opinion, anyway, I think Kiefer Sutherland is right. Uh, you know, knowing the track record of Tommy Douglas and what he did, and you can agree or disagree. I mean, he had his his political enemies, just like every other person who's in elected office did. But the track record is there for itself, and and uh, the the attempt by the Ford government to draw this analogy to say that we're doing it just like Tommy Douglas did is is it's beyond a stretch, isn't it?
2: Oh, I would I would I would say so. Uh, certainly, as, as somebody who covers contemporary politics, but is also a historian. He's written a little bit on Tommy Douglas um, and the issues surrounding him. I would say yes. I mean, I would say that in many ways, Tommy Douglas would likely reject the vision of Justin Trudeau as well for being far too limiting on the question of, well, how do we, you know, manage our economy? And, and so in some ways if with Ford, it's perhaps most ridiculous because, you know, with the, the, the cuts that a lot of people see as perhaps cruel or or excessive, and the government hasn't been willing, con- willing to consider that, you know, fiscal responsibility sometimes includes raising taxes on the wealthy, sometimes quite substantially, that if we want to have a balanced budget, then maybe we should consider a 10 20 30% hike uh, tax on the rich. That could get us to fiscal responsibility here in Ontario. Of course, as we know, Ontario has, you know, the lowest per capita spending of any province. Uh, Ontario doesn't have a deficit problem. Is a revenue problem, and they think Tommy Douglas would recognize that. And Tommy Douglas would also say, "Well, you know, the solution to Canada's you know infrastructure problem is not a private infrastructure bank. It's you know the, the national ownership of construction and stuff within pub- public crown corporations uh, to do the work." So, in many ways, Tommy Douglas, you know, as the CBC did about 15 years ago, they they named him the greatest Canadian according to you know polls, uh, you know, a poll done by Canadians. Um, but a lot of people don't want to wrestle what his actual legacy is, which is really, it's, it's a socialist legacy. It's really an anti-capitalist legacy. And it wasn't until the day he died.
0: Yeah, I, I, I remember that poll that was done over a number of weeks by CBC, and it was a yeah. phone-in poll. And by the way, you know, you could vote as many times as you wanted. Uh, yep. So obviously, a lot of people just thought, you know, okay, a lot of folks in the NDP party were on speed dial, and they just got this thing done. And that's fine. And and if the basis for, for voting for Tommy Douglas in those days was because he is acknowledged to be the father of, of Medicare uh, in this country, Although he didn't inv- invent it, but he just brought it into this country, uh, that's fine. But you're right. There's uh, as, as there is with most other politicians, uh, there was a dark side to Tommy Douglas. He was uh, pretty much under constant surveillance by the RCMP because they were concerned about well, Marxist-Leninist policies and, and inclinations and ties. And uh, that was never disproven, nor has it been proven. But it's it's there, isn't
2: it? Yeah, no, certainly. The, the, from from my research, there there's very little credibility to say that Tommy Douglas had any connection to Marxism or Leninism. Um, He was rather anti-communist, but the RCMP spied on him like they spied on most uh, NDP uh, figures, most senior NDP figures, because at the end of the day, the RCMP represented and and protected the status quo, Mm -hmm. and the NDP was a challenge to the status quo. It's the same thing about how the strikers in Winnipeg 1919 were remembering that strike a hundred years later. The vast, vast, vast majority of them uh, did not believe in armed revolution and just thought that we would change Canadian society by the ballot. You know, We would use the British parliamentary system and, and, and reform society in a, a major way, but that was a threat to the Canadian order. So it's been a big controversy amongst historians to try to get access to exactly what the RCMP was spying on. We know they were spying on Tommy Douglas, but a lot of the files have been redacted. And, and I think the, the reason why is that they'd realize that they'd be probably be spying on a duly elected premier of this country because he was a democratic socialist and he wasn't a... You know, a liberal capitalist like like you would see in the liberal and
0: conservative premiers. But as that party started to rise, and and the formation of the new Democratic Party with Tommy Douglas as their first leader, uh, was there a feeling at that time, from from the research you've done, Christo, that well, you know, that's that that that's a hotbed for for radicalism. I mean, because it's different. I because in in those days, I mean, with the t- the two existing political parties back in those days, conservatives and the liberals. For all intents and purposes, there were very little to choose between the two of them. They were both probably right-of-center parties, uh, slightly right-of-center. The Conservatives maybe a little more so. But uh, but there wasn't a whole lot of difference. There wasn't the polarization that we saw now. Then along came the new Democratic Party that were way over on the left-hand of the spectrum. So uh, I guess in some people's minds that would raise suspicions.
2: No, I mean, that was, that was one of the narratives. I mean, you're right yeah. in noting that until, you know, even into the 1970s, you know, Stanfield's um, conservatives were, were generally fairly middle of the road, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, you know, and, and, and I would say that it was the 1980s that caused, the, you know, the rise of neoconservatism, but also the rise of neoliberalism, and you saw, you know, the, the Chrétien liberals take a hard right turn in some ways as well, at least on economic issues, yeah. so that's why we entered a conservative time, but, you know, the NDP, I think you're right, offered a different vision for Canada, and it still does, it still does offer a different vision for Canada, but it's, it was, it was a vision that represented a significant portion of the electorate. Um, you know, in many cases, about 20% of the electorate. It's not, it's not a, the kind of thing that forms government, but it is the kind of thing that represents about a fifth of Canadians. And it was the party that Tommy Douglas led. And it was, it was a very different vision. And one thing I have to try to get to people is like it wasn't just about Medicare. It wasn't just about, you know, providing social programs. That was key. But, you know, Tommy Douglas in the 1970s would say, he's like, look, we, we haven't finished yet. We haven't built the social welfare programs we need yet. He wanted free education and he wanted, you know, childcare and all these sorts of things that were just starting to emerge in the public consciousness. But he says the next goal is for Canadians to democratize the economy, for Canadians to own their own economy, which is to say at the time to, uh, to look at things like excessive American ownership, but also to say why shouldn't the workers have a greater say within their industry? And Tommy Douglas looked to West Germany. He looked to Sweden. But he also, at least in some ways, looked at Yugoslavia. And he said, there are examples from both capitalist and socialist you know, societies of how workers can be better included in the you know the process of the economy. And I don't see that, certainly not from Doug Ford and not from Justin Trudeau. And even the current NDP sometimes loses that threat.
0: Which, which begs the question, then, uh, given Tommy, Tommy Douglas's track record and given what we've seen from the last year of Doug Ford and, and well, Lisa McLeod, the deputy Pr- premier, who in, in in the in the premier's office decided this would be a good idea? Let's let's draw a comparison between Tommy Douglas and Doug Ford. Uh, I mean, <laughs> never the twain shall meet. I mean, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. And and which which by the way is is what I'm supposing is uh, motivated the uh, analogy that uh, Kiefer Sutherland that uh, like I, I knew Tommy Douglas, sir, and you are no Tommy Douglas. That's a reference to the of course the now famous quote from uh, Lloyd Benson uh, in the vice presidential debate years ago against Dan Quayle because Dan Quayle again for some question, questionable activity that we just can't seem to understand tried to compare himself to JFK and Lloyd Benson said I knew JFK and sir you know JFK so it's it's a play on words obviously but it seems uh, pretty apt doesn't it Yeah
2: I I would I would certainly say so I mean it it seems like it was an odd thing I think one of the reasons is that Tommy Douglas's legacy is a pretty rock solid one I mean um, when you become the quote-unquote greatest Canadian, in the guy, and of course that poll was not scientifically, not, not for Tommy, but not for any of the top ten no. uh, who ended up in the list, you know, but the reality is that, that that carries a certain cachet, you know, father of Medicare. These are mythologies. They're not fully true in any cases. Everything's much more complicated than that. But Tommy Douglas has this legacy that I think, to a certain degree, transcends parties, and so because of that, everyone wants a piece of the legacy. It's you know, it's, it's, it's important in that way. So I thought they could say that, oh, we're not actually being cruel with our cuts, we're being compassionate because, like Tommy Douglas, we realize that, you know, having a balanced budget was important. But the motivations are completely different because with Ford, again, there is no, there is no desire to practice fiscal responsibility through tax increases. There is no Doug Ford going to the wealthiest people in Ontario, the people who bankrolled his election, and saying, look, you're going to have to pay an extra 10% uh, a year in taxes for the next five or six years. Maybe we'll figure things out then. That's what we need to do to pull together as a province. Doug Ford would never do that. And further to that, Tommy Douglas's motivation in, in, in not running deficits was to not have socialist governments be indebted to capitalist banks. It was an act of class politics. Whereas with liberal and conservative governments, especially, I think, they almost they know that the, the deficit game, whether or not they, they, they support it, they know that it constrains future governments, perhaps left-leaning governments, from actually making the changes they need. And it's one of the reasons why the biggest Stephen, the biggest decision Stephen Harper ever made, which doesn't get talked about, was his 2% cut to the GST, which has starved the government, the federal government, of revenue ever since and will be very hard to reverse because people will not like a 2% tax increase on their on their sales tax going forward.
0: Is, is it an attempt by the Ford government really then to t- try to erase uh, some of the, the pushback that they've received over the last year uh, and, and again, which is you know just even more wondrous why they'd use Tommy uh, Douglas as, as an example, uh, because as Tommy Douglas did what he did in Saskatchewan, uh, there wasn't any concern about you know families dealing with autism, uh, you know wondering where their funding was going to come from or school cutbacks. And uh, there's been a real pushback, and it, it, it seems as if what Ford is and Lisa McLeod tried to do here, by by trying to draw that line between Ford and Tommy Douglas is to say no no this is smooth there's nothing going on here everything's fine everybody likes what we're doing which is really not the case at all
2: no no certainly not as we've seen with with the poll Doug Ford you know wasn't particularly popular when he entered the premier's office but as we've seen uh, we and we've talked about it on this show Doug Ford according to some of the recent polling is already more unpopular than Kathleen Wynne was Kathleen Wynne was very unpopular you know when she when she exited the premier's office mm-hmm. and so in some ways I think this is due to the fact that you know he sort of won an election. Uh, You know, a majority government, but less than, you know, about about 40% of the vote. That means 60% of the people didn't vote for him. But it's also the fact that I think a lot of people saw the rhetoric of the campaign, which was fairly moderate. You know, I'm not going to cut anyone's jobs. I'm not going to, I'm only going to find efficiency cuts. I'm not going to make, you know, ideological cuts like maybe some people felt Tim Hudak would have done, or like Mike Harris did. And and that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a purely pragmatic government. And I think once they've come into power, they've made some decisions that, that were either not, uh, not telegraphed in their mandate, and in some cases are in direct opposition to what they said during the campaign, and I think a lot of people are angry. And I think that they are trying to find some way of justifying the decisions, but with this it seems like they really walked into a, a bear trap here, because it's, it's given a lot of ammo to the NDP, the official opposition, of course, does have that connection to Tommy Douglas, and a lot of people, I think it just doesn't pass the smell test, and Lisa McLeod yesterday tried to tweet back to Kiefer Sutherland saying it's easier to be a politician or easier to play a politician on TV than it is to be one. But, of course, that, that tweet got, got even more harangued than her original <laughs> Tommy Douglas article. So it's, it's not going well for them on this issue. I, I can't imagine what they were thinking.
0: Neither can I. Neither can anybody else, I guess. Uh, Crystal, always a pleasure. Thanks for this today. Thanks for having me.